lot about faith and perspective over the last uh, several months. And, uh, and uh, you know, you might ask, well, how long are you going to do that? Well, when you start believing it, we'll move on to something else. Amen. Right now, we need to keep our believing up. Keep our believing up. We got enough stuff that we're all dealing with that is uh, working against us and uh, can create real real difficulty. This last week, I spent some really, uh, really intensive uh, hours, actually, in prayer, praying for you, praying for the direction of the church, praying for coming against all the stuff that the enemy tries to bring uh, in my thinking. You know, I'm just like you. I have to battle just like you do. I have to fight down thoughts just like you do. Um, You know, I have days that Things just feel absolutely terrible. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And uh, but I know this: this is not my first rodeo. And I know what the enemy tries to do. And even though we know that, that doesn't mean it changes anything. You got to do the things that it takes to change it. You got to put. You got to get in. You got to push in. You got to persevere. You got to rebuke. You got to. You've got to move through those thoughts of that try that depression. You know, anxiety in the heart causes depression. That's what your Bible says in the book of Proverbs. And it does. And so we live in one of the most anxious societies of all time. And really, the, the reason is, and I, I'm not going to take time to get into all of this this morning, but the, the biggest reason is, is because of words. Because we have more words going out today than we ever have ever, ever we got radio, TV, internet, all the different words, and they're coming at you constantly. And words are powerful. The Bible tells us that, you know, that if we can tame the tongue, that we have done an incredible thing because the tongue can become an absolute evil force. The enemy can throw all kinds of things at you. I mean, the world can throw all kinds of words at you. But you get to choose which words you listen to. You can't stop what you, what's coming at you. But you can stop the, what you're, uh, you're, you yourself are thinking about. Jesus said that in Mark chapter 4. Look, everything is, the word is like a seed. And that's God's word, but that's other words too. And uh, those words are like seeds. And seeds produce. Seeds are going to produce something. In fact, it says in Mark 4.24 in the Amplified Version, the measure of thought and study you give to the word you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides will be given to you. That's how the Amplified But he begins it, he prefaces it with, be careful what you hear. He's not talking about what people are saying around you. He's talking about what you're hearing you say to you. Second Corinthians tells us that, look, our warfare is not a natural warfare. That the warfare that we're in, the personal warfare that we're in, is, is that we are pulling down strongholds. Those are in you, those are not around you. There's a different type of warfare for the things around you. That's in Ephesians chapter 6. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're mighty through God. And I love that he prefaces it with mighty through God to the pulling down. Look, this whatever God's got is enough to deal with whatever you've got. I wish I could get a good amen. Look, whatever you're dealing with, God's got something mightier than that. And the The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, they're not natural, they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Listen to this, the casting down, here's where we are, imaginations. 
casting down those imaginations and every high thing that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. What does God say? And what are those imaginations saying? What are those high things saying? And what you and I have to do is we have to, we have to realize that ignor ignoring them isn't going to change anything. We have to combat them. And we have weapons that are mighty through God. They're not our weapons. They're His weapons. The blood still has the power. Can I get a good amen? amen? The name of Jesus, there is no name that is greater than the name of Jesus. Ephesians 2, 9 through 11 says, God highly exalted Jesus of Nazareth. Excuse me. God so highly exalted Jesus, He gave Him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no higher name than the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So as I was praying about, I had a message I wanted to do and, and uh, earlier in the week, and I started working on it, and then... God, in my prayer time, as I was praying for you and praying for the church and, you know, our nation and praying for our world, God began to talk to me and he asked me a question. What is it that you see? What is it that you see? What do you see? I want you to go with me to 2 Kings, if you would. 2 Kings, chapter 6. 2 Kings, chapter 6. And uh, this is a Excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 18. There we go. I jumped ahead. Yikes. We'll get there in just a minute. 1 Kings 18. So this is a setup just of what's happening here that, um, you know, the, the tribes are split. Israel's in the north, Judah's in the south. Two tribes in the south with Judah, ten tribes in the north with Israel. They split after Solomon was king and uh, his son came in and made some bad decisions and it split the kingdom and so you have two different kingdoms that are going on. You have two separate kings, one in Judah, which is always going to be a descendant of David. And then you have what's happening in the north, which is going to be different kings that, you know, basically just attacked and killed. And their kids took over sometimes, and then people killed their kids and took over. And so you had all kinds of stuff that was happening in the north. The ten kingdoms in the north, one of the kings that you would be most familiar with, which is part of this story, is Ahab. Ahab's a king in the north. He's married to Jezebel. And uh, they're wicked, and their people are wicked, and Jezebel is, is a witch. I mean, she's a, she is a idolater. She is, uh, she is just totally into witchcraft. She is into bringing all kinds of evil and perversion into that northern kingdom. She is rebellious. She is, and she gets a, she's got Ahab, you know, uh, on her side. Uh, she, he's practicing all the things that she is doing, and they are totally. Uh, they haven't abandoned thinking about God, but they're living this life with all these other things going on. And Elijah is raised up as a prophet during that time and, and tells them that they need to repent and they need to stop it, and they don't stop it. And so God says to them, then, Elijah, I want you to tell the rain to stop coming. And so Elijah looks to the heavens and he says, rain, stop, rain stops. Three and a half years go by, no rain. You can imagine what it would look like in an agrarian society when there is no rain for three and a half years, how everything's pretty well dried up, the animals are hurting, everybody's struggling. I mean, it's a major chaos. Three and a half years go by, 
Ahab's heart is starting to soften a little bit more. And so God comes to Elijah and he says, Elijah, go tell Ahab that it's going to rain. And so he tells Ahab, and that's where we'll pick up here. And I wanted you, I wanted you to see this uh, because this is, this is really going to help you and encourage you in your faith. So if you look at verse 41 in chapter 18, 1 Kings, Elijah said unto Ahab, get up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. And so Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. So that's a pretty obedient servant because every time he goes, he sees absolutely nothing. The prophet is already, he already heard the prophet say that, I hear the sound of abundance of rain, okay? Now just put, let's put a, let's do this scenario maybe a way we can relate to. Let's say it hadn't rained here in three and a half years. And Pastor Jolliffe stands up and says, I want you all to go outside because I hear the sound of abundance of rain. And so everybody goes outside, looks at the heavens and goes, there's not a cloud in the sky. I think Pastor Jolliffe has uh, lost it a little bit this morning, right? So you come back in, you go, Pastor, there's nothing there. I say, oh, well, go look again. All right, well, we'll go another time. So they go out and look, and you go out and look another time. Nothing, not a cloud, not a single cloud, nothing but sunshine. Well, at what point do you drop off? First time? Fourth time? Fifth time? Sixth time? Nothing's changed. Nothing's any different. Everything looks exactly the same. And Elijah said, no, man, go look again, seventh time. And it says the, se the seventh time that he went out there. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there arises a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up and say unto Ahab, prepare your chariot and get you down, that the rain stop you not. And it came to pass in, in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and the wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he went ahead to Jezreel. So we have a, a scenario happening here where the prophet is saying, get ready, the rain is coming. And we have a scenario here where in the natural, when you look, nothing's happening. And I started thinking as I was going through this in my prayer time about all the times in the Bible that it looked like nothing was happening. You know, maybe you felt that way this last week. You just like, it just doesn't look like anything good is really happening. And sometimes, you know, the, the media is funny because they give you enough to keep you watching, but not enough to keep you encouraged. We call that tormenting, <laughs> to be tormented. In the book of 2 Kings, in chapter 6, there's a great story that's told about, a true story about uh, when, the, when the army started coming against the servant of Elijah, which at this time is Elisha. And as Elisha is sleeping in his tent, his servant gets up to get the coffee ready and the breakfast ready in the morning. And when he walks out the tent door, he sees that the armies have gathered around the prophet Elisha and, his, and, and, and himself. And he realizes that they're done for. This is it. We're, we're done for. And he goes to Elisha and he says, sir, we're in trouble. The armies have gathered against us overnight 
and we have, we're now in big, big trouble. This is a big, big problem. And Elisha in 2 Kings 6.16, he said this, Don't fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And, you know, we can say that so many times as preachers and as Christians, that those who are with us are more than those who are against us, and there's more gathered with us right now. And that's so absolutely true. But the servant still didn't see it. Even though the prophet told him that, he still didn't see anything. He, all he did was said, no, man, look, you, do you not see how bad this is? And so what did the prophet do? He said, Lord, open his eyes that he could see that there's more with us than against us. And God opened that servant's eyes and he saw that there were myriads of angels that were gathered in those foothills. What is it that you see right now? We know everything that we see with COVID-19, what we hear in our state, what we hear in our world. We know what we hear uh, about politics and all the things that are going on with media and, and everything that's going on. And what is it, though, that you really see? What is it that you're looking towards? What is it that you're viewing? Where is your eyesight right now? What is it that you, are you seeing something beyond what is apparent that everybody can see? Are you seeing something supernatural? I think of all the places in the Bible this happened with Elisha. It, you know, it happened with the, the, the three Hebrew boys. This was something the Lord was really speaking to me about this last week. That they made a statement whenever the king said, if you bow down and worship me, I'll let you live. And if you don't bow down and worship me, I'm going to kill you and throw you in the fiery furnace. And in Daniel, it says that the three Hebrew boys responded and said back to the king, they said, look, we don't, we're not worried about it. We don't care. Because they had their mindset on something greater. They said, if you, look, if you, if you throw us in the fire, they said, God is able to save us. And if you really read this without looking at it in the religious traditional sense, they never were thinking about dying in the fire. Because they said, look, if you throw us in the fire, God is able to deliver us. And they said, and if you don't, we still will not bow down. So what they basically said was, if you throw us in the fire, God's going to set us free because we're doing what's right. And if you don't throw us in, we still aren't bowing down to you. So it ain't happening. Well, that's what ticked him off. So he heated the fiery furnace up even seven times hotter. And he, then he had his guys take him up there to throw him in there, in their clothes, and was going to throw him down in the furnace and burn him to death. It was so hot that the guys that took them up to throw them in the fiery furnace died while they were at the top of it and fell in the fire. The three Hebrew boys, when they were thrown down in the fire, nothing even is happening to them. They're walking through the midst of the fire. And while they're walking through the midst, and I want you just to, I, 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 you dig into this yourself, those of you that study the Bible. The king is standing outside. And while he's standing outside there, he looks in and he sees the he three Hebrew boys with their clothes still on walking in the midst of the fire. And he says, wait, didn't we throw th three in there? He said, but there's a fourth one in there. And it looks like the Son of Man. Now, now listen to this. That's what the king saw. We have no proof that that's what the three Hebrew boys saw. We don't know if they saw anybody in the fire or not. 
They didn't talk. It doesn't say they talked with who was in there. It doesn't say that they were comforted by who was in there. It just said the king saw that somebody else was in there with them, and it looked like it wasn't somebody that was just normal, and it wasn't. Listen, I need somebody that's not normal with me. Can you say amen? We need that abnormal Jesus to be who is not like everybody else, who sees things different than everybody else does and who says, no, no, no. Listen, you have nothing to be afraid of. You have nothing to fear. You can overcome this by the power of my blood and through the power of my name. What is it that you see? Do you see a fiery furnace that's heating up right now? Seven times, ten times hotter than it was last week? For some, it does feel that way, I'm sure. But I want you to know that God's people throughout history survived because they looked beyond what they saw. That they saw something greater that not just going to heaven, but they saw that God was with them, that God would never leave them, that God would never forsake them. You know, in the Bible, it talks about, that, about David. And, you know, everybody in Israel, when David went down there to, to help, to talk to his brothers and take a meal to them, everybody that was there, all they saw was a 10-foot giant that had never been defeated. That's all they ever saw. I mean, think about it. The greatest warrior of that day would have been Goliath, this giant of a man. Ten, he had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, and he's... 10 foot tall and, and he's, you know, his, his, his spear is the size of a weaver's beam. I mean, this, this man is huge. David's just a, a small, he's a kid. He's a young boy. We don't know exactly how old he is here, but he's just a young man, young kid, teenage boy. And he comes down there to see this mighty giant who's boasting such great things. And, you know, not only is the giant big, he knows how to talk. So he says things like, come on, send your champion out, you bunch of sissies. Send him out here so that I could kill him and so that we can defeat you. Come on, send your champion out here. Well, David gets, David's like, what is wrong with everybody here? Because even the biggest guy among them, Saul, who's about 6'6", he's petrified. He won't go out there. Nobody will go out there. But see, David saw something greater than this big, massive giant who could boast great things. And David, David said, guys, is there not a cause? Don't you have a purpose in your life greater than what you're dealing with right now? Is there not a cause for us in our lives that's greater than what humanity is offering to us here in this valley? And so David said, I'll go out against him. And Saul says, well, okay, good, yeah, let's, let's send the kid. David goes out in that, and it's not, it's not, here he is, he's, he's just in his shepherd's clothes. You know, he tried to do the armor thing, and that didn't work, because he's wearing an armor that isn't his armor. He, he doesn't want to wear Saul's armor. He needs to wear the God the Father's armor out there into that. He needs a God plan, not just a Saul plan. And so he goes out in the midst of that valley, and it's not just that he's looking at this giant 10-foot soldier who's trained in the art of war and destruction, and he's just a shepherd boy. He, he looks up and sees this mighty giant of a man, and the man begins to say to him, Come on out here, little guy. And I'm going to cut your head off and I'm going to feed you to the birds. And, you know, you're, you'll never come out of this valley. This is your last 
Think of the things that, that David could have been thinking at this particular moment. Think of what, what your heart might be like in that moment. Well, Pastor, if I was David, why, I would have done baloney. Look, we need a church full of faith, not full of fear. That we're not running for every time something goes wrong, we're all crying in a corner about it. David rose up and he looked at that giant. He said, here, here's, okay, you said your part. Let me say my part. My God will deliver you into my hands and I'll cut your head off. And I'll feed your carcass to the birds. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. You will not win. You'll not even touch me. You'll not do a thing against me because I'll put it right where it needs to be. My God. You might be a big giant, but I serve a big God. And so I'm not worried about anything you've got to say or anything that you can do to me. What do you see? David could not go through this. And have this miracle unless he saw something greater than what everybody else saw. In your Bible, it talks about, in the book of Esther, how that a man by the name of Haman hated Mordecai and the Jews. He hated them. And he wanted them to be killed. And he wanted Mordecai, and to, he wanted Mordecai to suffer and go through public humiliation. And so... Haman builds this giant gallows that he's going to hang. His family suggested it and said, you know, uh, build this gallows, this big hang hangman area, and, and, and so that everybody can see it. And it looks so bad for all of Israel. It looked so bad for the people that were there in Persia. It looked like destruction was coming. The people are all set up by, by, Mor by, Haman, by Mordecai to be destroyed. I mean, or by Haman, excuse me, to be destroyed. They're all going to be killed. A set day has already been put in place. The king has signed off on it, so it's going to happen. But Mordecai, who knows that gallows, who everybody's talking about that's being built to hang him on, Mordecai doesn't just sit back in the corner of his house. He begins to pray. And he tells Esther that she needs to begin to pray. And that he gets a plan, and he says, Esther, what needs to happen? I'm going to tell you what it is. You need to go to the king, and you need to, you need to ask, you need to tell him what's going on. And Esther says, well, I can't do that because I have to be invited. And he said, look, he said, in words that you're very familiar with, look, God has raised you up for such a day as this. And so she does. And in one day, everything that was going bad for the Jews turned around and went right for the Jews. And you know the story, true story. Haman gets hung on the very gallows that he created for Mordecai. What do you see? Do you see your impending doom or do you see the destruction of your adversary? Mordecai saw something greater. How about the Israelites who, when they left Egypt, didn't know what was going to happen except... They had the promise from Moses for, for a promised land. You know, we don't really equate the miracle of that. We, we think about the, the plagues and how they came out of Egypt. The greater miracles happened while they were in the wilderness. I mean, 
you know, in the wilderness, you don't have water everywhere. In the wilderness, you don't have a massive food supply. In the wilderness, you're dealing with the, the, the difficulties of the wilderness, serpents and scorpions and all the other things. They head out from Egypt of the comfort zone that they had in their life. The Egypt was that was, was much more, seemed to them at, the, at a point, much more comfortable than being out in the wilderness and suffering. In fact, they started talking about in the wilderness would be better for us to just go back because this is so bad here. Moses, though, saw something greater than what they saw. I want you to just think about this. The quartermaster for the general, a quartermaster general in the army tried to figure out how much food and water it would take to take care of the Israelites that left Egypt. Now, it's estimated by some scholars that there was between a million to three million people with kids and everything that were in that group as they came out of Egypt, all right? While they're traveling out of Egypt, he figured up that, the quartermaster general figured up that it would take 1,500 tons of food every day. Every single day, it would take 1,500 tons of food. It would take 4,000, now I want you to think now, 4,000 tons of wood. See some of you guys that are cutting wood right now? 4,000 tons of wood and a few more freight trains a mile long just for one day to be able to keep the fires going so they could cook their food. 4,000 tons every day. And I want you to think about this. God took care of them for 40 years. 40 years. It would take 11 million gallons of water every day. That would be a freight train with tank cars 1,800 miles long to be able to provide water for all the people. You know, so much of Scripture we just look at, la-di-da-di-da, oh, wow, look at that. This, listen, this is, this is an absolutely impossible situation. But what did Moses see? See, the miracles happen for those who see something greater than what everybody else sees. The supernatural happens in people's lives whenever we can get beyond what everybody else is agreeing to and saying and see something much more powerful and much more supernatural that God. I believe in a supernatural God. Amen. He's not natural. He's, he, he, he came to be like us, but he isn't us. He came in the flesh, but he is not us. What did, what did Moses see? Moses saw promised land, provision, taken care of. What great miracles. The miracles didn't start when they got to the promised land, and they didn't end in Egypt. They, the greater miracles were happening where water was coming out of rocks out in the wilderness, where wood was showing up, where birds. I mean, I, I read the, the, the account. Do you realize that it would have to be for, you know, you just read the story of the quail, that it would have to be three feet to feed all of Israel with the quail that they ate. It'd have to be three feet deep of quail for 20 miles. Now, I thought I saw that many geese the other day, but no, 20, 20 miles. What's 20 miles from here? Alma, 20 miles? Let's say from here, is that pretty, huh? Saginaw. All right, so from here to Saginaw, three feet deep would have to be all birds. That's what the people got. You want birds? I'll give you birds. Miracles. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says that you and I are to walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse, um, uh, verse 13, it says, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak. Your believing happens on the inside. Your speaking happens on the outside. What you believe, listen, what you believe is what will come out of your mouth. What you're saying out of your mouth will produce your future. What you're believing in your heart cannot stay in your heart. If fear is in your heart, then you're going to speak fear. You may not speak it out in public. You may not speak it with people that are speaking faith. But you know what you say to yourself. You know what you say to you inside. How are we going to make it? How are we going to get through this? Do we have enough toilet paper? Do we have enough? Look, I'm telling you, if God could provide all that wood for them in the wilderness, he can give you more than enough toilet paper, okay? Amen. You say, well, pastor, that's just ridiculous. God doesn't do that. You know that there was a time in my life, Sharon's in my life, living in Breckenridge, that we had run out of toilet paper. What? Oh, it was in Ohio. I'm sorry. In Ohio. So anyways, let me move over here so I don't get corrected the whole story. Because my version will be better than hers. I promise. No, but she, no, she, this is true. This is a true story. We had no toilet paper and we had no money. And that night, somebody came and TP'd our house. Hey, you didn't ask how you wanted it. You just said you needed it. God provides all your need. He doesn't provide it the way you want it. He'll just provide it. The, you said you want that need met. I'll provide that need. We were taking care. Of, I mean, it wasn't like it was all strung out. And we had to roll it up. I mean, there were rolls of toilet plate paper laying in our yard. Glory to God. You say, well, that's just that's a silly miracle. It isn't if you don't have any toilet paper. <laughs> Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 43, in verse 2, God speaking, saying, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Nor, for, nor shall the flame scorch you. The church has always, has always maintained an incomprehensible vision of God's supernatural ability in the midst of difficulty. It always has. No matter what dark moment it was in, you know, the birth of the church through the Lord Jesus Christ was a dark moment. If you think about it, Everybody that saw Jesus, who was the answer to all their problems, in the end, all they saw was a dead Jesus in the arms of his mother after he was taken down from the cross. All their hopes and dreams were crushed. They forgot what he had said, that he would rise from the dead. 
Remember that all of them were surprised when he came back. But from that day forward, it changed their lives that they had an incomprehensible attitude and mindset and vision of the supernatural ability of God in the midst of adversity. Because what looked dead wasn't really dead. Because it's not dead till God says it's dead. Christ rose from the dead. So what we have to do as believers, and I feel this is the challenge, and I've been praying a lot this week about, God, what's going to happen in 2021? And I know folks are being crazy, like, oh, I just want 2020 to be over. and blah, blah, it's getting Look, just because of a date isn't going to make much difference, okay? I said, Lord, what is it that's going to be happening? He says, what is going to take place in my people? And I'll just start this this week, and I'll finish it next week. Is I'm about to shift their, their thinking. I'm about to shift their thinking into a different paradigm. To see things, to begin to see things differently in life. To begin to look at things differently. And to, you know, to, that, that you and I are going to, that more of a anything is possible attitude. I mean, look, show me one thing God can't do. Show me one thing God can't do. For us to be able to shake off the despair of the day, we're going to need a new perspective. We're going to have to do a paradigm shift, which means to look at things completely from a different point of view. Isaiah 43:18 says this, Do not remember the former things. And this is the scripture I got for the year. Nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, and now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, here's what I felt like God told me with this particular passage as we're wrapping up. Our problem is that we remember the old things too much. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you right now. All right, now look. We remember the former things too much. You say, well, what are the four? I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about where we've been disappointed, where things didn't work out the way we thought they should, the divorce we went through, the kid that ran away, the money that didn't show up on time. So we're thinking about the former things. Those are all former things. Anything that happened before today is a former thing. And God's saying, look, what's going to have to happen is we've got to get you past your past. I love the, the one quote, it, just, it really speaks to me. Your past is your truth. You've been there, but it's not your future, unless you want it to be. Your past is your truth. That's true. It is where you've been. That's what you've been through. You went through those things. They're real, but it's not, it doesn't have to be your future. That's just your past. So what God is saying to his people is saying to Amazing Grace, I can't speak for the whole church, but look, put away the former things. Put away the disappointments. You know, every time that you believe God for something, do you know that your enemy, your adversary starts bringing people around you to tell you about how that didn't work for somebody? If you're bold enough to share with your friend that you were believing for something, your friend will know somebody that died from what you're believing God for. Right? 
Oh, no, they'll know. They'll tell you. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, believe, I'm going through my cancer treatments, but I'm believing God that I'm going to have a supernatural miracle. Oh, well, you know, it could happen, but, you know, I know somebody. What's that all about, former things? You need new friends. <clears throat> you need new friends. I mean, those old friends, they... Well, I'm just believing God I'm going to get a better job than, you know, even though the economy's, oh, well, you know, now we just don't know. I mean, we don't know. Social Security could be gone by the end of the year. I mean, you know, you may not get that check anymore. You might not have. See, always there's people that want to take you to former things. And then you got those knuckleheads around you that remember what you used to be like. Right? And those guys, they're doing everything they can to keep you there. I have some friends, I, you know, I, I call them their friends, but they're more acquaintances, that all they remember is what I used to be like. And now when they see me, they're like, you're not like you used to be. I say, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, you don't do the things you, no, I don't. Mm -mm. No, because I'm doing some new things. Now, how do you get to that place in your life? What, what are we going to have to do as God's people? To do the new things. What's going to have to happen for us? Now listen to the way he said it. Do not remember the old things. Okay. Now, is that a command? Is that a, you know, was he just saying, hey, this is a nice suggestion for you. You shouldn't think about those things. He said, do not. Remember. So there's always the capacity to remember. Do not remember the former things, nor give thought, consider, put your mindset towards the things of old, because I am doing a new thing, and it'll spring forth, but not if you're still looking at old things. <laughs> not if you're considering the old things. Behold, I'm going to do something new, and it'll spring forth, and you're going to know it. And it'll be like a road in the wilderness and like rivers in the desert. We, way, we remember way too much about where we have been, which pulls us into doubt and fear like gravity. We remember way too much about where we have been, which pulls us into doubt and fear like gravity. So what's the answer? Ephesians 4.23 says this. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Ephesians 4.23 in the Amplified Version says it like this. And be constantly, constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. How often do I got to do that? Every day. Every single day. Every single day. Every single day hour, every single minute, every single second. We have to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So, well, Pastor, what will the new thing look like? Well, let me just leave it like this, and, and, and I promise this is it. You'll know it when it gets here. You'll know it when it's, when it's here, okay? The new thing, and it's coming. Because he said it's coming. 
and it will, I want you to notice in the last part of that verse, he said it will be like, it will be like a highway in the wilderness. It'll just show up. So stop thinking about how you think God is going to do something. Because you don't know. Stop telling God how he's going to do something. Because you don't get to do that. Start thinking big that God's going to do something like we've never... I mean, look, you know, I want God to do something in our politics, in our nation, overall, completely, from top to bottom. So what I think would be really awesome if revival broke out in the Capitol. I mean, it's great it happens in the church, but wouldn't it be awesome if revival broke out in the White House and it broke out in the Capitol and it began to move into our state legislature and it moved into our governorship and it moved across. See, we're thinking too small about government. We've got to start thinking big about God and how that God can move across this nation. He's done it before. He can do it again. And look, you're not going to have to think real hard about it when you start hearing different words coming out of your political leaders who are saying things that sound way different and much more godly all of a sudden compared to what we've heard in the past. Well, I wish I could get a good amen. God said, stop the small thinking. Start thinking big. Start thinking great. What he is, that's what Stevie was trying to say this morning. It was so good about the offering. Stop thinking small about your giving. Your giving is changing lives. It's bringing people out of darkness. I mean, look, you don't know. You don't know that that money you gave today could lead one of our leaders who's out there on the mission field in, in Iraq could lead someone who could, to the Lord today who is the next powerful evangelist in Iraq and brings a sweeping move of the Holy Spirit that totally wipes out ISIS and everything else because of the move of God. You don't know that. But your former thinking is what's stopping you from thinking something new could happen. New things are on the way. Amen. Stand up with me, would you? Father, thank you. Chuck, grab a mic if you would. Father, thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. That, Lord, that you don't just leave us here on this earth crying out to a throne gazillion miles away, but you, Lord God, have become resident on the inside of every believer that's in this place, that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, individually and corporately, Lord God, that coming together, Lord, we make up this holy habitation, as Ephesians says, a place where you dwell, Lord God, here on this earth. So we deserve notice that in our heart, this is a place where God dwells, not where doubt dwells. This in our heart, this is a place where power dwells, anointing dwells, healing dwells, life dwells. The life giver is on the inside of us. We declare that in this church, Lord God, that this is a dwelling place of God. And everything that God does, everything you do, God, you do here. Healing, deliverance, restoration, provision. Hallelujah. New vision, new dreams. Father, I thank you. Lord, no matter how old we are or how young we are, you are not done with our life. That we don't have to wait for some certain point in our life where you can begin to move through us and in us and in and, and, and the work that we're, you've called us to, Lord God. But today is the day. Yeah. Today, 
Say that with me. Today is my day. Today is my day. Today is my day. You said in your word, Lord God, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. And I thank you, Father God, for the power of the Holy Spirit that confirms all of your word in our lives. Lord God, I pray for those who came here discouraged today. God, for whatever reason, some that, Lord, have had loved ones that have passed away. Lord, that aren't sure their job will be there next week. Lord God, those who might be struggling, uh, Lord God, uh, just with all the stuff that has come against them and through them, Lord God, and, and, and attack them, and the people that have said things to them. Father God, I just pray today that, Lord, we would be the lion chasers you called us to be. And God, that, that the one that walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour lost his teeth a long time ago. And Lord God, that we would realize that it's nothing but a bunch of noise and it's a bunch of words. And Lord God, we would take and hear your noise, the sound of heaven and the words from heaven that you have already echoed through the ages, Lord God. And that we would rise up, Lord God, as your people and begin to face that adversity, Lord God, and run to the roar in the name of Jesus. Lift your hands to heaven right now and say, that's me. That's me in my life. I need that in my life today. I need that in my life today. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey, Second Corinthians.